So what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, in fact, leading us up to Easter, is we're going to look at a different chapter of the Gospel of John every week. And we're going to look at a picture of Jesus, who he is, what he says, and ultimately what it means for our life. And so today we're looking at John chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn there with me. John chapter 3. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read together from God's Word here in just a moment. John chapter 3. As Joe has already mentioned, I'm going to be talking to you today about Jesus as the greatest teacher who's ever lived. And the greatest teacher who's ever lived is known because he gave the greatest lesson that has ever been given. Last Sunday, Austin and Joe preached, and they talked about Jesus as the Word and Jesus as the light, and all that that means in our life, and how accurate that is from John chapter 1. We're bypassing John 2 because of the snow date, but today we're looking at John chapter 3. You'll notice verses 14 through 17 on the screen. I'm going to ask you to read these verses with me out loud. Would you read them with me now? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one Son of God. And so our Heavenly Father, in these brief moments that we have in this Christmas season, we invite you to teach us just who Jesus is. We invite you, Lord, to use your word and to use your spirit. We invite you, Lord, to break through any barriers in our mind and in our hearts that would keep us from discovering and knowing and walking with the one true God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take the words that we share this morning from your word, infuse them with your spirit, and, and break through into our lives in wonderful, renewing, reviving ways that will bring glory to your name as we pray together in the name above all names, that wonderful name that we just heard saying, the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So let's take the few moments that we have this morning, and I want us to examine Jesus as the great teacher. We're preparing to have the Lord's Supper here today, as you've already noticed, and so we're building our way up from the greatest teacher to the greatest lesson and then the greatest object lesson that we have, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper. I want you to notice several things, and I don't have nearly enough time as always, but I want you to notice several things about Jesus as the greatest teacher. First of all, notice this. Jesus is a teacher who has come from God. We see this in verses 1 and 2 there in John chapter 3. Nicodemus a Pharisee, a trained religious leader, a man of prominence and prestige, a man of training, a man of the law. And it says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Now, down through the ages, there are many men and many women who are notable throughout history and throughout the scriptures and throughout even our church, as Joe pointed out, many people who are noted for being teachers and even for being great teachers. And many of these have taught great things about God. We think about the Old Testament and we think about Moses. We think about Noah. We think about Isaiah. We think about David. We think about Jeremiah. And we think about all those prophets. We can't quite remember their names, right? But they're all great teachers. And then we think about great teachers right here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I think about Pastor Don Chasteen. I think about Pastor Carl Garner. I think about people like uh, uh, Ron Williams and Dot Moore and Robin King. And I think about many others who teach the Word of God week in and week out to our adults, to our youth, to our children, to our preschoolers. Many great teachers that talk about God. But there's something different about Jesus that sets him apart from every other teacher who has ever lived. Don't you notice here, these others may have heard from God, but notice the two things that Nicodemus, this Pharisee, notice what he says about Jesus. He says that Jesus is come from God. He's from God. All the others have heard from God. Jesus has come from God. And notice also that Nicodemus says about Jesus that God is with him. You could not do the things that you're doing. You could not say the things that you're saying unless the fact that God is with you. The teaching and the preaching, the miraculous signs that were taking place and others that would come. There was the changing of the water into wine in John chapter 2. There's the raising of the dead, the healing of the sick, the calming of the storm, the feeding of the 5,000, and the list goes on and on. And all of these things that were done and all of these things that were said are evidence that Jesus is indeed the great teacher who has come from God and with whom God is with as he went about teaching. He's a teacher come from God. Let's also notice starting in verse 3 and going to verse 8 that Jesus reveals God's plan. The beautiful thing about life is that God has a purpose and God has a plan. Oftentimes when someone will, will call me on the phone or ask to meet with me or, or we'll take prayer requests and, and someone will want to speak just quietly off to the side, oftentimes it relates back to the, to the question of, does God have a purpose for me? Does God have a will for me? Can I know what it is I'm on earth for? Why am I here? And, and Jesus uh, reveals God's plan. In fact, I, I would say it this way in verse 7. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. What is the purpose of God for my life and the purpose of God for your life? It is that we be born again. Listen to the words starting in verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And all the women said, no possible way. <laughs> Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, 
and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus here is giving a, a verbal illustration of what it means to know him as Savior. An illustration is being born again. It, it, it's new life. It, it's that the life you have now is not adequate. You need a totally new life in order to be made right with God and to have eternal life. That's why he says it this way. You must be born again. You must be born again. And so, so here we have this illustration of what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus. To become a Christian is to become born again. There's an old saying that I've heard for years, and I think it's very, very appropriate on this occasion. And, and the saying goes like this. If you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. You see, the Bible makes it clear there are two deaths that all of us are facing. There is a physical death that we all must face at some point, but there's also a spiritual death that is an option. Spiritually speaking, we can choose to live by knowing Jesus as our Savior, by being born, by turning from our sins and believing and trusting in Christ, or we can reject that and we can face spiritual death on top of physical death. So you're born once, you'll die twice. You're born twice, you'll die once. I want you to notice another thing about Jesus as the great teacher. We see this in verses 9 through 11, and that is that Jesus, it is Jesus, and only Jesus who reveals heavenly things. Jesus reveals for us heavenly things. Notice Nicodemus says in verse 9, a question that many of us may be asking either right now or that we found ourselves asking in the past. Nicodemus said to him, scratching his head, how can these things be? How can this be possible? How can this happen? Because Nicodemus would say, I know all about being born. Been there, done that heard about it, got kids, all oh, whatever. I know all about being born, but this thing about being born again, how can this be? I don't understand. I don't comprehend. Jesus answered him, verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and, all, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so Jesus here, in, in this conversation, this, this lesson is being taught, he's, he's drawing a, a, a comparison. He says there are earthly things and there are heavenly things. The heavenly things we cannot comprehend. The only way that we can comprehend the heavenly is to understand it in terms of the earthly. So that when Jesus says to Nicodemus and to you and I, you must be born again, of course he's not talking about entering a second time into our mother's womb and being born again. He's talking about something spiritual that is beyond us, but we understand it in terms of being born again. The earthly experiences, the earthly lessons, the earthly scripture, all of these things help us to understand heavenly things. And so many times we get caught up in circumstances that we don't understand. Circumstances that, that make us question. And those are all good things if we take them to God. To take him our hurts and our heartaches. To take him the difficulties. To take him the successes. To take him the joys that we have. The longing of our heart. The direction of our lives. To take all of it to the Lord. And look into his word. And recognize the fact that your circumstances and his word. Empowered by his spirit. Will help you to understand heavenly things. 
So Jesus reveals to us heavenly things. Fourthly, I want you to look at verses 14 to 18 with me. And that is we see that Jesus reveals the greatest message of all time, the greatest lesson of all time given by the greatest teacher we find right here in John chapter 3. And, and, and I'm not going to have nearly the time. In fact, I'm going to springboard off of this right now tomorrow night. So I'm looking forward to you being here tomorrow night. I'll share a little bit more about this. But, but I want you to notice that Jesus reveals the greatest message of all time. It's, and, and the greatest message is the cross. The cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the cross is pictured in the Old Testament. If you were to go back, and I hope you might do this, in Numbers, the Old Testament book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Old Testament, and you were to read in chapter 21 of, of Numbers, you're going to find that, that Moses is leading the Israelites. He's led them out of Egypt. And once again, the Israelites have grumbled against God. That's how we know that there are Baptists in the Old Testament. Amen? <laughs> So once again, they've grumbled against God, and God has judged them with a sickness. And so God instructs Moses. He says, I want you to create a, a serpent on a stick out of bronze and hold it up in the air. And the people who are physically sick, when they look at the bronze serpent up in the air, they will become physically healed, and they'll know that God is the healer. Well, this takes place in Numbers 21, hundreds of years thousands of years before Jesus is ever born. And now in John chapter 3, Jesus brings that reference to the forefront. And he says, I, basically, I'm the fulfillment of, of Moses in Numbers chapter 21. And so Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In the Old Testament, the serpent was lifted up, and when the people looked to the serpent... They became physically well. Jesus goes on to say in verse 15 that whoever believes in him, this is Jesus, may have eternal life. And so we have this illustration from the Old Testament applied to Jesus in the New Testament. And Jesus says just as our forefathers were sick and were healed when they looked to the serpent in this day and time and forevermore when people who are sinful and apart from God will look to the cross, they will be spiritually healed. And Jesus says, this is part of the greatest lesson. The message is there in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now I want you to, to, to really pay attention. There's so many things in this verse, but I, but I would point out to you the very beginning. For God so what? Loved. loved. He, for God so loved. The motivation for God is love. The motivation for relationship for, with God is love. The motivation for God to send his son to be our savior. The motivation for Christmas is the love of God. He started it. He completed it. He provided it because he loves us. So much that he gave the greatest gift, which is his son. Verse 17 tells us the purpose of the message for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's not God's purpose that you and I be condemned. But, God, but it's God's purpose, verse 17, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that every possible person who hears and responds to the message might be saved 
from sin, saved into the family of God, delivered from the judgment of God for sin, delivered out of that judgment and into his family to know him and walk with him and be with him forever and ever. Isn't that a great message? <laughs> so we can say, does, why are all these things happening? What's the purpose of life? What's going on in the world? It is that God sent Jesus because he loves us so that we might be rescued from the condemnation that comes on sinners. That's why we're here. Verse 18 tells us the verdict. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's a great verse. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. It doesn't say whoever believes in Jesus and anything. Just simply whoever believes is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, no matter what else he may have done, no matter what else she may have accomplished, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the only Son of God. The only difference between salvation and condemnation is belief. Not going to church, not the amount of money you have or the amount of money you give. It is simply belief. Do you believe in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? This message is what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what's so awesome about this time of the year. Yeah, we, have the, we got the Christmas trees and we got the stockings and we got the songs and we got the carols and we got the parties and we got all the good food, amen? It's still coming. But more and above and beyond is the focus on the fact that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved us, he didn't just spring it on us in the day of Jesus, he foretold it way back hundreds of years in the Old Testament. For example, uh, of the many places in the Old Testament talking about Jesus, Isaiah seven fourteen is one. It says in Isaiah seven fourteen, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a Hebrew name, and it's a title of the Messiah, and it means God with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is going to send the Messiah whose title is God with us, which means God is going to come and be with us. He's not going to send a prophet. He's going to send himself. That's who he is. We also see it foretold in Luke chapter 1. As the angel spoke to Mary and said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus being a Greek word, a Greek word that means Jehovah is salvation. So we have the title of the Messiah, uh, 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 God with us, Emmanuel. Then we have the name of the Messiah, uh, Jesus, uh, Jehovah is salvation. And, and we know this is who our Savior is. The angel goes on to say, He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Forever and ever and ever. This, this message is not only taught by Jesus, foretold in the Old Testament, but we, but we find that it is completed in the scriptures as we read as well. In Luke chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. While they were there in the stable... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Completed 
And then the New Testament church taught, as we do today in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right moment, in all of eternity, God selected just the right moment, when that time had fully come, and it was time. It says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent Jesus so that we might be adopted into his family, so that we might be born again, which is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. I want you to notice also, we look at verses 19 to 21, that Jesus reveals God's judgment. There is a judgment of God, not because God is mean, but because God is holy and righteous Out of his love, he provides a way for us to escape the coming judgment, to escape the condemnation of our sins. He provides a way out at great cost to himself. But it's illustrated here in verses 19 to 21. This this judgment is illustrated in in the terms of light and darkness that that, uh, we, we heard preached even last week. This is the judgment, verse 19. The light, or Jesus, has come into the world. And people loved the darkness, or sin, rather than light, because their works were evil. You see, each of us falls into one of two categories. The one category is is that the light has shined on us. And you see, the light has shined on all of us, actually. And because the light has shined on all of us, there are some of us who will turn to the light and be saved, be born again. But there are some that when the light shines upon them because of their fear that their deeds will be exposed, because they're fearful that their sins will be found out, they turn and run from the light. And so they are not saved. And so in this, Jesus reveals there's a coming judgment that though the light shines on everyone, not everyone will receive the light. Now I want you to notice also verses 31 to 35. There we see that Jesus, the great teacher, the revealer, His identity is as the Son of God. He's not just a prophet as in generations gone by. He's not just a great teacher. He is physically. He is spiritually. He is in all of his essence. Jesus is the Son of God. Notice verse 31 says, He who comes from above is above all. That's Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven, that's Jesus, is above all. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son, that's Jesus. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now let me wrap up this greatest message from the greatest teacher with the greatest point of application in the history of the world. Of all the things that you've ever heard by way of message, by way of invitation, by way of options and choices and being at a crossroads, this, what I'm about to share with you, is the the most important crossroads that you'll ever find yourself at. This point of application is the greatest point of application ever given in the history of the world. Because after the greatest teacher has shared the greatest message, he now calls for the greatest response. You see, I will respond to the message of the teacher. Every single one of us will respond to the message of the teacher. 
There, there's, there is to receive the message. There is to reject the message. There's no third way. There's no fourth way. There's no, there's no out of, out, out, of, out of getting out of it situation. There, there, there's no way to, to avoid it. There, there's no way to, 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 to miss making a choice. And Jesus talks about that in verse 36. The two ways we can choose to respond. The first way is to become a disciple. I can choose to follow Jesus, respond to the message by accepting it, by receiving it, by responding to it. I can respond to the message by becoming a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Notice verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Not whoever does something else and believes. Not whoever believes and does something else, but whoever believes. The whole chapter has been repeating the same theme over and over again. I, I'm married to a school teacher. I've been through school. I know what they say. You have to hear something seven times before it really starts to sink in. And for men, it might be, as Jesus said, 70 times seven. I don't know. <laughs> but all throughout the third chapter of John, like a good teacher who repeats himself or herself for emphasis to get the message across, we have heard this message. Verse 7, you must be born again. Verse 15, believe and have eternal life. Verse 16, believe and have eternal life. Verse 18, whoever believes is not condemned. Verse 36, whoever believes has eternal life. Are you getting the understanding here that we are called to respond by believing so that we might have eternal life? That's the purpose of the baby coming in the manger so that he might die on the cross so that we might believe and have eternal life. The only other option there is, if you're not going to be a disciple, then you're going to be a deserter. What do you mean by deserter? What it means is this, is that Jesus makes it clear. The light has come into the world, and the light has shined on everyone. And there are those who will respond to the light and be saved, but there are those who will reject the light, and they'll run. They will desert the light. They're not going to hang around. Their sins might be exposed. They're not going to hang around because they have no intention of believing. So you're either going to be a disciple or you're going to be a deserter. Jesus said it like this, verse 36. Whoever does not obey the Son or respond to the light shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God, notice this word, remains on him. That word remains is very important because it, it, it lets us know this. It lets us know that it's not that, that I get to a certain point in my life and, and, and then I become a sinner. The Bible makes it clear I'm born a sinner. And by the time I recognize that I'm a sinner, I've already been a sinner my whole life. It's not something I ease into. It's something I'm born into. And so I have the wrath of God on me to start with. And when I reject the only way out, then that wrath of God remains. It stays right where it is, on me. And I now have to pay the penalty for my sins. I now have to face the condemnation that sin brings when you commit it against a holy and a righteous God. But the wonderful good news is that we can be delivered from the condemnation of our sins. Verse number three, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
Verse 19, people love darkness rather than the light. Verse 36, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You see, there are, uh, of, the, of the folks gathered in this room, there are folks that have, have chosen both sides. There, there are those who have said, I, he- I see the light, I hear the message, and I will be born again. And they enter into the kingdom. And there are those who the light shines. And you say, what is that light? And you back away from the light. And then you come to understand the, the light is there to, to bring you to Christ and to bring you to God. And you're, but to do that, you've got to leave all these things behind that you like, that, that are part of your life, that, 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 that have anchored you down and have drugged you back and may have even made your life miserable. But all you've got to do is leave those there and go after Jesus. And, and you say, but wait a minute, I'm not willing to leave these things behind. I'm going to shut the door on the light. In this room, as in every room, every church, every place, there are those who say yes. There are those who've said no. The wonderful good news of the gospel, and the word gospel simply means good news, is that when we turn, we will receive. And if you're here today, and up until this point, You've rejected that message and you shut it down and you've run for the shadows and you said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. If somehow, even today, something that is said from the Bible, something that is stirred in your soul from God's Holy Spirit is compelling you to believe, the good news for you today is that you can believe, you can be changed, you can be born Again, isn't that good news today? Say amen if it's good news. And for those of us who have said yes, for those of us who are disciples, for those of us who have followed after Jesus, whether it's been for decades or years or months, weeks, or even a few days, this message is a great reminder of where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. And it's a reminder to us to live every single day, every single opportunity to live in such a way that it will bring honor and glory to our Lord Jesus, that we never go back to where we were, that we'll always be moving forward for the gospel. As our band's going to come up, and we're going to get ready here in just a moment to have the Lord's Supper, to celebrate that together. And you might say, well, how does all this tie in? We're, we're, you know, this is Christmas, and we celebrate Jesus being born. Uh, this, you know, Easter is when we celebrate Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. I want to tell you, it all fits together beautifully. And there's no better time to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus than at the time that we celebrate his birth into the world. The Lord's Supper is an object lesson given to us by Jesus. It's an object lesson that illustrates all that he has done for us. It is the greatest teacher giving the greatest message with the greatest application and now the greatest object lesson that will go with it. It pictures the price that was paid for our freedom on the cross. For those who receive and take part in the Lord's Supper, it is an ongoing public declaration of saying, I believe. And when Jesus died, he died for me. And when the light shined, I responded to the light. It's a public declaration, but it's also a public display of the coming of the light of his message into our lives. It's also a public celebration. It's a public celebration for 
the church to recognize the fact that because of his death, I have life. Because he took my place, I have been set free. And, and, and I would remind you that the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate today, the Lord's Supper from the Scripture is, is something that is given to the church. It's given for believers. And so if you're here today and you're a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate. If you're here today and you're not a believer of Jesus and, and, and you've never made that step to trust Him, I want to tell you in just a moment how you can do that. But also, we would not ask you to participate in something in which you don't believe. I would ask you, first of all, I would say to you, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. But I would ask you to observe and to watch and then to raise any questions you have for one of our teachers, one of our deacons, one of your friends, one of our pastors. We'd be glad to try to answer any question you may have about what's going on and what this message is all about. If you're here today and you've come to that place where you know it's time to get right with the Lord, then as others are going and taking their stations here to receive the Lord's Supper, you find myself or Joe or Austin or Shay or Al or anybody else on our staff who is here, we'd be happy to share with you uh, during that time uh, for you to come and we could share with you how to be born again, how to trust Christ as your Savior, to pray with you and encourage you through that step and through that process. On the signal, here's how we're going to ask you to do. There are two stations here at the very front and there are two stations located halfway back. Uh, deacons, if you will, go ahead and get in place. And uh, as uh, we invite you to come in just a few minutes, uh, we'd invite you to come forward and make your way to one of the sets of deacons. There'll be two here, uh, four on this side, four on that side. Make your way to a set of deacons. There'll be two sets uh, there at the middle section. And uh, the first deacon will have bread. And he will remind you that that bread is the body of Jesus broken for you. The second deacon will have juice as a reminder that it is the blood of Christ that, that gives us the new covenant in his blood. It's a reminder of all that he's done for us. We'd ask you to just come down the center aisles to receive and just make your way back up to your seats. Also, uh, we would just encourage you, uh, everybody doesn't have to come at once. Just take your time. The, choir, the uh, band will be playing and singing softly. Spend a few moments with the Lord as you have opportunity before you come or after you go back to your seat. And uh, we'll ask you to go back to your seat so we can conclude our service here in just a few moments. If you're here this morning and coming forward is not really a good option for you because of health reasons, then as the line dies down, uh, I'll ask if anybody would like to be served, you just raise your hand and some of our deacons will make their way and serve you right where you are. Our pastors are going to be available during this time as well. So uh, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to pray. Then the music will begin, and you're invited to come as you see fit. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, our great teacher. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the gospel, the good news. And the greatest news of all is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, who died in our place and for our sins, for in my place, Lord, and for my sins. <coughs> And I want to pray, my Heavenly Father, that this season of celebration of the Lord's Supper will be meaningful in our lives. For those of us who know Jesus, may we reflect back to that time when we said yes to you. May we examine our lives and see, are there, are there any changes that need to take place in my life here at this season? 
and in grateful thanksgiving to you, may we determine to make those adjustments in life. And our Heavenly Father, I'd pray also this morning for our friends who are here today who've not taken that step. Maybe they've just outright rejected the message. Maybe they've struggled and wrestled with it. Maybe they've had questions. I pray, Lord, that even today can be the day of salvation as we celebrate the Christmas season. And now as we celebrate together the Lord's Supper, be in our midst, stir our souls. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.